Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the feed tonight. Welcome to our Bible study. It is good to see you all. I see we've got quite a few on tonight, it looks like, which is terrific. See, I see Shelly and Cheryl out there. Good to have you guys. Uh, Bill's with us. I think I saw him, Mac, and Pat out there a little bit, a, a little bit ago. So looks like we've got quite a few on. That's terrific. Hopefully, we'll have a few more jump in here as we progress with our Bible study tonight. We're going to jump into Revelation chapter three. We're going to continue on with our series on Christ and Revelation. So I just want to welcome you. Glad to have you tonight. Let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into our Bible study tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being such a gracious and a good God. And we pray tonight as we study the Word of God together that, Lord, your presence, your spirit would be in the middle of us and that you would guide everything that's said, everything that's thought, all the application, all the things that apply to our life tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's jump into this. And uh, we're going to continue on this week uh, from last week. We, we began last week talking about the letters to the seven churches, and, we're, and we got through the first four. This week, we're going to jump into the, sec, the last three, which would be chapter three of Revelation. Now, just let me jump back a little bit here and give you a big picture, because I know every now and then we have somebody that might jump in that didn't catch the week or two weeks before that. Um, so each one of these letters is formatted like this. There's an Generally like this, there's an introduction, a commendation, a rebuke, and a promise. Occasionally, the format, and tonight we're going to see that, the format will vary a little bit, but overall, that's the way this works. Now, the again, big picture, we're, we're looking at Christ in Revelation. So we're looking tonight at not just the book of Revelation, but we're looking at it through a unique lens or, or a, a, a focused lens, I guess would be a better way to say it, and, and that is Christ and Christ place in it, Christ activity in it. So we're looking at Christ in Revelation, and remember the focus, the theme of Revelation is the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. And through his revealing, through coming to understand him, uh, we get a grasp of what the last days, the, those days after he's ascended, will look like. And of course, we know ultimately that's going to be the last, last days, if you will, um, which is yet out in front of us. So let's jump into this tonight. Introduction, commendation, rebuke, promise. That's kind of the format of these letters. Tonight we're going to look at the last three, as I mentioned, the last three churches. The first one is the Church of Sardis, uh, the Church of Philadelphia, and the Church of Laodicea. And I'm going to throw up the map here again. So if you are um, visually oriented, you can catch a little bit of this. You can see the way these churches are presented in Revelation starts in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. We looked at last week. It's almost like a U-shape if you can follow the map around there. And then this week, uh, we're going to look at Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I want to take a moment and I want to point something out. This is out of Revelation 3.6, but I want you to notice this. If you've been reading uh, along with us or reading ahead, you probably picked up on this. Every one of these letters to the churches has this statement or something very close to it in it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, this this letter is written to not only the churches in the first century, but the churches throughout the century. It's written to all churches. It's written to us today. And, and the, the spiritual piece of it, the Holy Spirit's active work in this, is not just to give us truth, but to help us to have 
the light shone on not just the Word of God, but our own culture, our own society, our own church, our own lives. So every one of these churches ends with something like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, if you're interested in spiritual things, if you're attuned to spiritual things, if you're hungry for hearing the voice of God, hear the message, hear what's being said. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I think tonight, as we bring uh, this portion of this series to a close, that that's just a really good way to start this out. We as the 21st century church in America, we need to have our ear, our heart, if you will, attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Him, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, let me set these first three up with this story. Um, have you ever been fooled by appearances? Um, have you ever looked at somebody or a book or something and you thought it was one thing, and then you found out it was another. Ruthie and I, about 17 years ago now, I guess, 18, almost 18 years ago, 15 years ago, somewhere in that range, we were living in South Bend, and um, we were renting a, a house. We rented it for about a year after we moved up there, and we were trying to find a house to buy. We had sold our house uh, down here, and uh, we had moved to South Bend, and we were looking for a house to buy. And we had a realtor, good realtor, and she did a great job. And uh, we we were we were looking at this house and looking at that house. We thought we had one we really liked, and then it sold out from under us, as I recall. And uh, th in all this process, we're kind of looking in the same general vicinity, more or less, of the city. We're trying to find a place, and we just couldn't find anything that felt right, looked right. And we drove past, early on in the process, we drove past this house on... Um, I believe it was on Miami Street. It was on Miami Street. And we looked at it, and I just thought, eh, it's okay, but not really where I want to I just don't feel like I want to invest my money in that place. And we went on. I don't even think we looked. Well, I know we didn't. We didn't even look at it. We just drove by it, and we continued to look and look and look. And finally, there came a point, and I don't remember what the catalyst for doing it was, but it's like, all right, Let's go back to that house. It's still on the market. Probably, knowing me, it was probably the price had come down. And I thought, all right, the price is low enough now. Maybe I'm interested. And we went to this house, and we went in, and we began to walk around and look at it and realized this house is completely different on the inside than what we thought by looking at the outside. On the outside, it was just straight, uh, straight up, plain, no shutters. Um, the, there was no porch, no overhangs, overhang over the porch. It was just concrete. It just wasn't really attractive. And we got inside and realized this house, the layout of this house, the appearance of this house, the look of this house is, is very, very close to the house that we really liked, we really wanted that got sold out from under us. But it was for considerably less money. And it's one of those instances, I tell you that story for this reason, it's one of those instances where we were fooled by appearances. And we usually think fooled by appearances. We often think the negative. We think somebody looks better or something looks better and then it turns out to be just ugly on the inside or whatever. We're talking about houses or people or books or whatever. In this instance, it was just the opposite. And tonight, I bring that up because tonight, as we look at these first three churches, we're going to see in each one of these instances, uh, there's some truth to this. There's a connection. Each one of these churches had a certain appearance on the outside, but when you get into the heart of the church, it was completely something different. So I, I keep that in mind as we work through this. Let's start with the first church tonight, Sardis. And we're going to hit up just a, a section of passages for each church. We're not going to hit them all deeply tonight. 
each of these three. But let's start with this in Sardis. The, the city of the, the the city of Sardis had some unique um, some unique characteristics. It ha, it was a strategic military post. Um, it was nearly impregnable. It was on a set of cliffs. You had to climb cliffs to get to this city. Uh, it had a high wall around it. It was also located on a really important um, highway, so there was a lot of merchant traffic. Traffic. There were gold deposits in it or near it, and because of those things, it was a very wealthy city. So a lot of military, uh, strategic military um, background of this city, impregnable, important highway, gold deposits, and wealth. And you can imagine, if you live in a city such as that, it's not unreasonable to think you're going to perceive yourself as being something very special. And I suspect, as we look at this, we may find out that the church had taken on some of those characteristics. We get this um, from Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the, church, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And as we get into this, let me just point this out. We touched on it last week and the week before. The seven spirits of God is a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him, Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. And, and, and in other words, he has the, the fullness of the Spirit and the seven stars. So Jesus is, or again, the revelation of Jesus, understanding of Jesus. He has that, that, that connection of, with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit when he was walking this earth. He has the insight that comes from being part of the, 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 the Trinity. So the seven spirits are referenced there, and that's going to become really important here in just a moment. We read in the second part of verse 1 then, he says this, Jesus says this, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So you see right off the bat, verse 1 of chapter 3, you see fooled by appearances. You have the appearance, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Now, we could go a couple ways with this. What was the problem with the church at Sardis? I think I pointed this out last week. I believe I did. Many of these places, many of these churches, it talks about your works aren't adequate. Your works aren't complete. Your works aren't what they used to be. Your works aren't what they ought to be. And I think we as the church, we and when I say church, I mean us guys, us uh, us individuals, us people, us Christians, us that are walking in a faith relationship, a covenant relationship with God. I, I'm not talking about the organization. we got to make sure we get our minds and our hearts around the, the right concept there. M many times we think, I'm walking in faith. I've got faith. I've got to have faith. This is all about faith. And certainly it is, but along with faith, if there is real faith, there will also be work. So there's a couple ways we could go with this idea that you appear to be alive, but you're dead. And your works, he's not found your works complete. We could say that the works that are not complete are, are simply caring for the poor. Um, it could be evangelism. It could be preaching the gospel. It could be a number of things. It could be many of the works that James and other passages talk about. But the fact that he opened this portion of Revelation 3 in the letter with um, describing himself as, as one that's connected to the fullness of the Spirit makes me wonder if there's not a piece of this where they were spiritually dead. Now, the other side that we get into sometimes is we think, you know what, if we have these powerful moves of the Spirit, we're alive. If we have no move of the Spirit or no, none of the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, then we're dead. But, but let me just challenge you for a moment on that. Now, th that may be a true statement, 
but it may not have to be a true statement. What do I mean by that? I mean, when the Spirit of God is moving, when the Holy Spirit is active in an individual's life, active in the body of the church, something's going to happen. And that thing that is going to happen is the lost are going to be saved, the sick are going to be healed, um, demonic dark powers are going to push be pushed back. You know what you call those things? You call those things works. So it's not I can be works-oriented or I can be uh, spirit-oriented. It's when, I am, when I'm alive in the spirit, there's going to be works. And, and I believe we see both of that, those things being challenged in Sardis. Jesus comes along and says, look, you've got the uh, reputation of being alive. Maybe that means that they were just incredibly uh, active in the gifts of the Spirit, and there was all the gifts functioning, and, and their services were really spiritual, but it ended when they walked out the door, and there were no works that followed along behind it. It could be that. That very well could be what he means by, you give the appearance of being alive, but you're really dead, and it's seen by the lack of works. We see that in verse 2. Or it could be this. It could be that they're a church that's incredibly active and, and they are out working in the community and they're out doing in the community, but it's all driven by a, I don't know, let's call it a social conscience, which there's nothing wrong with having a social conscience. But folks, listen, we are meant to be the church born again, church of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual component. In fact, there is a foundational spiritual component component to who we are and why we do what we do. And if you take the spiritual component out of this thing, if you take the reality that I'm born again, my sins are forgiven, I, I, I'm commanded, the great commandment to go, if you take that out of it, if you take the working of the Spirit out of it, if you take Acts 1-8 out of it, you shall become witnesses to me after you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you take those pieces out of it, then all you really become is a powerful social organization and that's not what God has called the church to do. So I hope you're, I hope you're getting this um, tonight. I hope you see this. It, we've got to be, we've got to have works. We've got to be active. We've got to be socially conscious. We've got to be caring for the poor. We've got to be reaching out to the lost people. We've got to be helping those that are hurting. But the motivation, the thing that, that pushes us, the thing that empowers us has got to be the Spirit of God. And if we don't have either one of those things, then we can find ourselves in a place like the church in Sardis where, where God looks at us, Jesus looks at it and says, you've got, you know, you've got the appearance of being alive, you've got the workings of the Spirit, but you're dead. Or you, you've got the appearance of being alive, you've got all kinds of things you're doing, works you're doing, but there's no Spirit behind it, you're dead. And regardless, either way, we don't want to be found dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And he says this, and we saw this in the other letters. If you examine your heart tonight, if you look at your heart tonight, let's just talk individually, and you're like, yeah, I, maybe I'm kind of there. Maybe I'm struggling with this issue, okay? Then he says this, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And he continually calls us to repent, turn around and go a different direction. And numerous times in the first four churches, the letters to the first four churches, it was mentioned, remember. Remember where you used to be. Remember what used to drive you. Remember what used to drive you and what you used to do when you were driven. Remember and, and repent. And I would encourage you tonight, if you're finding yourself struggling with just a lack of being active, making a difference for the kingdom of God and bringing the kingdom of God into this world, or if you find yourself struggling with being spiritually vital and spiritually alive and having, having that spiritual uh, zeal, then remember what you used to have and repent and seek God's face. Because he says this, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief 
and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And again, we see our God of mercy, our God of, of grace, our God of patience is all of those things, but he is also a God of justice and a God of judgment. And we want to make sure we don't play games with God. We, we just, we, we've got to do that. Let's move on. Let's look to the Church of Philadelphia. That was the Church of Sardis. Let's look to the Church of Philadelphia tonight. What do we find here? This church sat on an active earthquake fault, and that'll become significant here in a moment. This church is one of two churches that actually, we, we looked at one last week. This is the only church of these three that received no rebuke. That would be an awesome experience. No rebuke. All the other churches are rebuked. This church is not. They don't receive a rebuke. And this is what we find in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. And maybe you're curious, maybe you've heard all these passages taught and preached many times in the past, and you've never really had anybody talk to you about what does it mean, the one who has the key of David. That is most likely a reference back to the book of Isaiah. There is a passage in Isaiah uh, where God is chastising uh, one of the stewards of the house of David, somebody who stands in control and is supposed to be active for God, and he is chastising him because he's just doing a very poor job. He's just not being faithful, not being consistent, and he tells him, he tells him, you're going to be removed. You're going to step aside, and I'm going to place somebody else in your role that is going to do a much better job, that is going to do a complete job of being a steward. And let's just look at that tonight. Isaiah 22:22. it says, And I will place on his shoulder this new steward, the key of the house of David, and he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. In other words, he's going to have the power to bring change. He's going to have the power to open doors that, that others can't. He's going to have the power to close doors in people's lives and people's situations that others can't. And Jesus, by referencing himself in this, uh, and referencing himself as that, is saying, I've taken up the mantle of David. I've taken up the stewardship of David. I have taken up, and, and now I hold the keys. And we actually saw this back in chapter 1. He said, fear not. Jesus just said this about himself. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus became the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah, of Isaiah 22 22. So we get that in the beginning. Jesus is the one who has the capacity, the ability to open doors and close doors as he wills. Now, now, now listen, stop and think about this. Let's talk about real life, real world, where we live today in the 21st century. Um, things are kind of crazy, and I've preached about this a good bit, and I've talked about this uh, a good bit in the last number of weeks. Um, you know, we're getting ready for another presidential election. We're getting ready to place senators. We're getting ready to place congressmen. We're getting ready to step into situations right now. There are situations right now that honestly looking at them, you're like, I don't see how we can ever pull back from this. But, but Jesus is the ultimate steward. He is the ultimate king and he can open doors that we don't think can be opened and he can close doors that we don't think can be closed. And those of us that are, are really, um, feeling challenged, and I talked a little bit about anxiety on Sunday, um, you know, it, it's helpful and important to remember who's in control and the power and the authority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse, or it goes on in verse 8 and it says, I know your works. Jesus says this to the, the church in Philadelphia. I know your works, 
Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is the only. This is one of two churches that got no rebuke. He says he's saying to the church in Philadelphia, "I, I know you have little power. I, I know you don't feel very strong. I know you may not be very strong. I may know you. I know you may not have financial might. You may not have political might. You may not have social um, might. You may not have wealth. You may not have money. You have little power. All those things in this world we call power." He says, I, I know that about you. I, I know you're not a big church. I know you're not a big group. I, I know you don't have the wealthy among you. And yet, and yet, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I think if we are such a church, and honestly, folks, the church in the West, the church in America is more and more becoming that church. There was a day, and I can remember even in my lifetime, you know, you would see it with um, athletes. You would see it with uh, even Hollywood stars. You would see it with um, musical uh, idols. Um, it was it was considered great. It was considered cool. It was considered appropriate um, to stand up when you received an award and to say, "I want to thank Jesus Christ," or "I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ." I don't know how many times I saw that, and you know, many times the life that was lived didn't even come close to living up to what they were claiming, but it was considered cool, good, um, helpful to be called a Christian. But we are slipping into a day, it really are in a day, um, where it's not anymore. And the cultural standards have moved so far away from, from holy standards, biblical standards, Christ-like standards, that to take a stand for Christ is un not only unpopular, but it can actually cost you. It can cost you a great deal. It can cost you friends. It can cost you uh, employment. It can cost you a lot of things. And we find ourselves as, as a church in the West, in America, especially having less and less um, influence, less and less impact, less and less control, less and less authority, less and less power. And, and again, the one who opens and closes doors can do what he chooses to do. And I think as we find ourselves in that situation, it's important to remember who it is that opens doors and closes doors so we can and will remain faithful even when it gets and even if it gets hard and harder. He goes on in verse 10 and he says this, Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Probably a reference to um, ultimate last days, uh, probably a reference to his return or, or the tribulation that will precede his return. Um, the ultimate trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, which is really interesting considering that those words, I'm coming soon, were written um, almost 2,000 years ago, which just tells me if he was coming soon then, he's coming even sooner now. So maybe we really ought to make sure our hearts are right and we're not, don't give the appearance of being alive and actually being dead. He says this in verse 11, Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I, and I want you to see this, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Do you remember um, what the church or the city of Philadelphia was built on? It was built on an earthquake fault line. And it was not uncommon to have earthquakes that would shatter um, many, if not crumble, many, if not all the buildings. And oftentimes, the only thing left standing after the earthquake were the pillars 
in the temple. The pillars would stand while the building crumbled. And he's saying to the church that has little power, little control, little authority, little money, little of all those things like the church in Philadelphia, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. In other words, if you will stay strong, if you will endure, if you will be patient, if you will hold to holiness, I will see that you stand even when everything around you crumbles. If that's not a powerful message for the church today, folks, I don't know what it is. Um, it seems like our world is crumbling around us and we need to stand strong in our relationship with Jesus Christ and stand strong in what holiness really is, God's holiness, not culture's holiness. And, and, and we need to hold on to that and realize that we will be like that pillar. We will stand. Not saying we won't go through hard stuff, but we will stand. And I think there's a powerful message in there today for the church. Let's look at the last church, um, Laodicea, tonight as we bring this to a close. Laodicea is probably the one you all have heard preached the most. I'm sure over the years I have probably preached about it the most. The, the characteristics of that, and I forgot to change the title at the top. This is Laodicea. Merchant banking system. It had a merchant banking system and, a, again, a great deal of wealth. Within that um, city, they grew sheep that produced a very unique and desirable wool. Uh, near the city were hot springs used, and those hot springs were full of minerals, and those minerals were, were, were con that water with all those minerals in it were considered medicinal and used for medic medicinal uh, purposes. Um, and they also exported a special medicinal ISAB. Now, all that becomes important, or most of that becomes important, as we look at his word to the church at Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I just highlighted faithful and true witness. You know, Jesus, everybody has a perspective. Everybody has a perception. Everybody has an opinion on how we should live, what living right looks like, um, culturally, it's there, um, even within the church. But we've got to remember that at the end of the day, Jesus is the faithful and true witness. At the end of the day, he gets to say what's what, who's who, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's sin, what's righteousness. He is the one. So when he speaks something to your heart through the Holy Spirit, because he has the fullness of the Spirit, then you, we all, not just you, but we all had better hear what the Lord says to us. Uh, he is the faithful and true witness. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, let me give you a little different perspective on that. I've preached this many times, and I've heard it preached many times, where God hates it when we're lukewarm, and, and, which I, I, I think is true and accurate, but we usually figure, you know, if you're hot, you're on fire for God. If you're cold, you just completely walked away from God and there's no interest in spiritual things. And I had often wondered, God, why are you saying it's better to be completely cold than it is to be even lukewarm? And I mean, I've got some reasons for that and I had some understandings and reasons for that, but here's maybe a better way to understand the scripture. If we put it within the cultural context of Laodicea, or the geographical context really of Laodicea. Laodicea, remember, was a city that had these springs, these hot springs. Um, so if you lived in Laodicea, at certain places, you could look out of the city, look out of your window, and you could see the steam rising from these hot springs. Out of these hot springs came healing. So when the water was hot, there was healing. 
um, which is part of the responsibility of the people of God. There ought to be healing when the Spirit of God's flowing through us. So when you're hot, that's not referencing you're spiritually or on fire for God. It's referencing that there's healing in your walk, your life, um, all that you do. But what they did in Laodicea then is they took that water and they piped it or they ran it through aqueducts out of the springs and they would bring it into the city where it would be cooled down and made cold. And that cold water then was a good thing because the cold water was a place of refreshing. Another thing the church ought to be about. We ought to be a refreshing experience, a refreshing piece of our culture. We ought to offer peace. We ought to offer joy. We ought to, ought to offer all of those things to the culture around, them, around us and be an example of those things. But that water and the time that it flowed from the hot springs till it got into the city and was cooled down and made cold, it would get lukewarm. And that lukewarm water had none of the good characteristics of either hot or cold. Hot water healed. Cold water refreshed. Lukewarm water did nothing. So when we begin to read this, I know your works are neither hot, bringing healing. You're not cold, bringing refreshing. You're just lukewarm. You're not healing. You're not refreshing. You're not doing anything anything of value to this world for the kingdom and because you're neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth and i believe in that god is simply saying to us let's talk works again the spirit of god in us motivating us to works it should be works of healing healing can be uh, take a lot of forms a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of ways a lot of different things but it ought to be involved in works that are healing and or and or it ought to be refreshing but to just live a life and name myself a christian but do neither one of those things makes me lukewarm. And Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. And he goes on and gives us these examples. He says, for you say I'm rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, 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 poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments. Remember the wool? The wool was often black. He says, buy for me white garments. Let me give you a white garment. There's also that reference to the end times where we'll be wearing white robes. Let, buy, he says, so that you may be rich because you buy from me gold refined by fire and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And then he says this, and I think maybe this is the most important for tonight. We could dig into all those and, and, and I, I want to bring this to a close at seven o'clock. But he says, salve to anoint your eyes so, so that you may see. And can I just say this to you tonight? Maybe the most important thing the church, the people of God, including me, need right now is we need the salve of the Holy Spirit. Salve to anoint our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our hearts, to see, to see the condition of our heart. I, you know, if my heart has darkness in it, if my heart is evil, if I've got something in my life that is not good, not appropriate, sinful, or if I'm even letting myself slip into a place of temptation, okay, as long as I can see that, I can repent of it. But the most dangerous place to be in this world is to have those things going on in my life and not even be able to see them. The most dangerous place is to be in a place where you don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know what you don't know. And, and I believe it's one of the most important things we can get to right now is pray, God, give us that salve to anoint our eyes. Let us see clearly the condition of our own heart. And that's always the place to start. You know, a lot of times we want to start by looking at the condition of sinners' hearts, and we want to point to their failures and their sins and their evil. And well, that's a horrible place to start because sinners are going to act like sinners. 
And sometimes if we don't go there, then we want to look at the sins or the failures or the weaknesses of our other brothers and sisters in the Lord around us and say, well, they ought to do this better and they ought to do more of that and they're not faithful here and they're not consistent there. Well, how about we start with our own? God, give us salve so our eyes can see clearly. And I believe that's part of the message for those that have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches, to us. He goes on and he says this in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. In other words, don't play with this. Don't play games with this. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, if you're hearing something, if the, if the Lord's speaking something to you, don't waste time tonight even before you go to bed. When, when we're off his feet, take a moment and be zealous and seeking after God and repenting and seeking his face one more time. And then he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And we usually take that passage to be a reference to Jesus standing at the door and knocking for those that don't have a relationship with him. And okay, that's fair. That's not necessarily an, an inaccurate picture. But this is falling in the letter to the church in Laodicea, who and we've just read all those things about. They think they're one thing. They think they're rich, and they think they're strong, and they think they're this, and they're wealthy, and they're really poor and naked and, and all of those things. Um, he says, behold, so he's saying this not to sinners, he's saying this to the church. And maybe he's saying this to you tonight. If, you're, if you've let your life slip out of the place that ought to be with Christ, he's saying, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking on the door of your heart, the door of your life. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and I will eat with you and I will be with you. I will be in a tight, intimate relationship with you. This, I, I think we misconstrue this. this. This statement isn't made to sinners. This statement is made to those that call themselves part of the church. This statement is made to us tonight if our heart is not right with God. If we've let things come before God, if we've let God become anything but first in our life, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's just really sad that this church in Laodicea and so many churches today, we've act, we don't even realize we've done it because we're blinded. We've, in one way or another, we've escorted Jesus out of the building and he's standing outside the doors knocking and we need to go and open the doors of our heart and let him in. Um, let me bring this, wrap this all up, the, the whole seven churches, the last two chapters, it's a comprehensive warning to the church. It's a comprehensive warning about the dangers of losing our first love, Ephesus, it's a comprehensive warning about um, having a fear of suffering, Smyrna. Uh, it's a comprehensive warning about doctrinal compromise. We will not compromise on the Word of God and what it teaches, Pergamum. It's, it's a comprehensive warning about, about moral compromise. We will not embrace the immorality of the culture around us, Thyatira. It's a comprehensive warning about spiritual deadness, Sardis about failure to endure and I spelled endure wrong so overlook that that's mine Philadelphia it is a warning about lukewarmness about not bringing healing to this world and about not bringing refreshing to this world Laodicea we're all brought these are all brought home with just an amazing relevance to the contemporary church to us today and I hope as I've gone through this this has been fast you certainly, if you want to go back, you're welcome to go back and watch it again and pick up some truths out of this. I hope my prayer has been, Holy Spirit, if there's something in here that needs to be revealed to an individual who's on this feed or who watches this video after the fact, please 
do what I don't have the capacity to do, and that is speak to their heart. So I hope tonight something that's been said along the way, it, it, it's spoken to your heart. Next week, we're going to jump into another week of Christ and Revelation, and we're going to move on out of the letters. We're going to move into Revelation chapter 5. So um, I, I don't know how many of you choose to read ahead, but if part of your daily devotions, and I certainly hope you're having them, is to read what's coming on Wednesday. Revelation 5 will be the place we're going to go, and we're going to continue to look at Christ in the Revelation. Hey, you guys, have a great week. I hope to see you all on Sunday if you're still at a place you're not able to make it back because of COVID. I, I'm hoping to see you on the feed Sunday morning at uh, 11 o'clock. Love you guys. We continue to pray for you, and we're believing God um, to continue to use this church to make a difference uh, in our world. God bless you. You guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.